We read the word of God in 1 Peter 2. First Peter 2, we read the first 10 verses. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This far we read the word of God. I call your attention to the first part of verse 7 of this chapter. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Beloved saints in Christ, we come today to Jesus Christ, to whom coming as unto a living stone, said the apostle in verse 4. We come today to Jesus Christ. We do that in an outward physical sense, first of all. For we come to the house of God. We come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. We come to behold in the sign and seal the sacrament, the picture of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And also in that sacrament, he is spiritually present with us. We come to Christ today. We do that not just in an outward or physical way, though. We also do that spiritually. For we come with a heart of faith. We come saying something about this Christ. It isn't just that we're going to go to church and at church we'll be with a bunch of people and oh, by the way, Jesus Christ will be there too. But when we come to him today, we say he, he is the reason I'm here. He is the explanation for my salvation. My joy, my hope, it's all found in Him. 
And it isn't that I've come to church today with some other people, and by the way, Christ also will be there, but I have come to Christ, and you have come to Christ, and all of us come to Christ in a heart of faith. But why? That's the question. Why have you come to Christ? Is it because you say he's precious? While we come to Christ, there are others who encounter Christ. They don't come to him, but as they journey, they come into contact with him. They hear the gospel of salvation. It may be that they come to church. It may be that they partake of the sacrament. But they will not say that they find in Christ all their salvation, nor will they call him precious. Encountering him, coming across him, they stumble over him. And that's the context of our text. It's also the idea of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28 from which the words just before our text are taken. They stumble over him, and he becomes a rock of offense. They stumble and trip and fall and are destroyed. Why? Because they will not say that Christ is precious, and they do not come in faith. Therefore, the context of the text and the Old Testament setting in Isaiah that is set forth just before our text drives home the question again. It's to be pressed urgently on my soul and on yours. Why are you here today? Is it because you say Christ is precious? Or do you really not care about him? That is the question. And now the word of the Holy Spirit to the church of all ages A word of comfort, really, is this. To you who believe, he is precious. Or it might be that though I'm a true believer, I come to church today not having set forth in my mind, not having prepared in my heart, not reminding myself again of how precious he is. But now as I hear the gospel And as I partake of the sacrament, the Holy Spirit will work in me to see it again and to make it my confession unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. And so I call your attention to the text under the theme, Christ, precious to believers. What does that mean, first of all? For whom or to whom is that true? Secondly, and why is it true? Thirdly, the text speaks of Jesus Christ. It is true that in the context, the apostle, under inspiration of the Spirit, has described Christ in a number of ways, but always it's clear he's speaking of Christ. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, he said in in verse 3. And then to whom coming, that is coming to the Lord, To to the Lord is a living stone, one chosen of God and precious. Coming to him, you see he is precious. So if we ask the question, whom 
is it of whom the text speaks? The answer is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're pointed right away to the reason why he's precious. He, that is in distinction from any other person and any other thing you and I might find on earth, the reason is that this Jesus Christ is the only, the complete, and the all-sufficient Savior. Find one other being who is that alongside of Christ. And you may say then, if you find such a being, that there are two most precious to you. But because there is not such another being, you will never say that. He is most precious. The context sets forth this Lord in the fullness of the revelation of God that he is to us. He's the Lord. He's Jesus. He's Christ. And in the three names mentioned in the text, and especially in its context, are set forth before us, as does the Heidelberg Catechism. In the Lord's days that treat the names, the completeness of his saving work. He is the Son of God, having come in the flesh, complete, therefore, in his person and in natures to do the work of salvation. And we're reminded of that as the Lord's Supper pictures for us the human nature of Jesus Christ. He is, as Christ, the completely anointed one and the one whose work is complete, prophet, priest, and king. He is, therefore, as Christ and as Jesus, our Lord, inasmuch as he came down from heaven to earth and now bore our sins, our curse, our guilt, went to the death of the cross and did everything necessary for our salvation. Who is precious? the Son of God who came on our behalf and took our sins on himself and fully delivered us from them. He is precious. But as the apostle drives home that point, he refers to Old Testament prophecy in which Jesus Christ is called a cornerstone. And that adds to the reason why you and I call him, of all people, precious today. That is because he is the one on whom the whole church is built. The figure of a cornerstone is prevalent or at least prominent in the scriptures. You find it in Psalm 118 verse 22, sometimes used as I did today as the call to worship. You find it in Isaiah 28 verse 16. You find it in a number of places in the New Testament in which those passages are quoted. And in every instance, the idea of Jesus Christ the Messiah as a cornerstone is this. That he is the foundation of the redeemed church of God. For a cornerstone, a carefully selected and specially prepared stone was the central stone of the entire building. In Old Testament, ancient Oriental times, we use different methods today of constructing buildings. 
But in those days, when you built a building out of stone, you carefully chose that which would be the cornerstone on which really the weight, the stability of the entire building would in some way rest. Today, we might call it a foundation. Only it was very different, was a cornerstone from the cement poured foundations that we have today. The cornerstone, therefore, is Jesus Christ. The entire church of Jesus Christ, you and me, each of us as a different member in the body, or as the context says, as lively stones, are built on Christ. There is, therefore, not only none other that God sent, none other who is God in the flesh, none other who bore our nature, our sin, our guilt, but there is none other whom God raised up as he did to Jesus Christ the third day and said, now in raising him up, I mean to show for the whole world that my church is founded on him. Cornerstone was always precious. A builder always viewed it that way. He didn't think lightly of the stone that he would select or, if necessary, buy or prepare to be the cornerstone. This did not involve just only a little forethought or almost none in his mind. He chose it carefully and prepared it just right. That's Christ. And of that cornerstone and of that full and complete Savior, the text says he is precious. The word really means of high value. And therefore, we can explain this both in an objective sense, what is true of him regardless of whether you or I confess it, and then also in a subjective sense, that is, that you and I see, then I must make this confession both of those are necessary as we come to the table of the Lord today. The price that is put on Jesus Christ is a high price. That's not the price mankind by nature puts on him, as is evident from Judas Iscariot saying, 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, that should be enough. As is also evident from unbelievers today who say, Jesus Christ... I wouldn't give you a nickel for the Jesus Christ that you talk about. But let's begin, not from the viewpoint of how does fallen man view him, but from the question or the viewpoint of how does the builder of the church, how does God himself view him? And the answer is, as precious of high value. As regards whom he is, he is of high value. He is the only begotten Son of God. There is not another. As regards what he gives, he is of high value. He bestows eternal life, salvation, reconciliation to the one true God, covenant friendship with that God on the part of us who are sinners and were dead in trespasses and sins. You can't put a higher price on that. 
And as regards how he made this salvation, it is beyond value or precious. The apostle has referred to that in the previous chapter. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When the Bible says he's precious, it means to say in the first place, that this is how Jehovah God views him, of greater value than anything else. And therefore the question is, do you, do I, conform our view of Jesus Christ to God's? Is he precious? you? The answer to that question, if you give it honestly, says more about you than it does about Christ or God. The unbeliever who says he's not worth a nickel is not in fact saying with truth, with objective truth, that Jesus Christ never saved that his bloodshed did nothing, that the God who sent him is not a very great God. Instead, the unbeliever is saying that he hates that God and he hates that Christ. Is he precious to you? When a man knows the value of a gem, that gem is precious. The man protects it. Maybe a man bought a diamond ring for a young lady and intends in the near future to give her that ring. He is always conscious in the meantime of where that ring is. He's going to take good care of it. He's not going to throw it away. He's not going to misplace it. He's not going to turn around and sell it for $10. He's going to keep it and care for it. That's my calling and yours. That is, of course, it's God who's going to preserve and care for his son, Jesus Christ. And our calling isn't to add to the work of God, but my calling and your calling is to confess this. Jesus Christ is precious, and that's why come to church today and will come to the table of the Lord. Somebody will say that you're going to eat a piece of bread that's about one inch by one inch. But you're going to drink a little wine that can only fill a thimble. This is no feast child of God says, understand what that bread and that wine pictures? This is a feast like no other feast. And so the confession that we make here is an antithetical confession. Not only is that a point I'm trying to drive home, but it comes out of the text and it comes out of Isaiah 
where verse 6 is quoted from. The world, unbelievers, pagans, but even those in the church who will not truly believe despise him. They're the builders, like the chief priests and the Jews, who disallowed Jesus as the cornerstone. They said, we're the leaders of the church. We're going to build the church. We're going to build Judaism. This Jesus, we don't need him. And they crucified him on the cross. That's in Jesus' day. Israel of old, the time of, uh, of Isaiah, also was full of many prophets who said, you don't need a spiritual Messiah. You just need the prophets to teach you. You need the priests to do their work. And if their work is a little corrupted, so be it. You just need Judaism to continue to be a great ethnic group of people. And if we can just get rid of the Romans and others who, at the time then, the Babylonians who have the rule over us, all will be well. And the child of God says, no, he's precious. Because he died for my sins. For whom is he precious? The answer in the first place is to God. And that's not the text. It is the context. And it is Isaiah 28. It is verse 4. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. But I move on, not ignoring or belittling. That's the starting point. He is precious to God. And therefore, the text says, unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Now, the apostle is doing something throughout his epistle, but in the second chapter particularly, that we need to note. He's taking a number of promises made in the Old Testament and he's applying them to the New Testament believers. He's taking words that the Lord spoke to the Jews. We read them in verse 9, a reminder of what God said to the Jews at Sinai, Exodus 19. And the apostle is saying they're true for Gentiles. And that's a point not to be overlooked. The gospel in the New Testament, Jesus Christ having come, died, and risen again, is that believers are not merely Jews, but Jews and Gentiles throughout the world. But the emphasis falls on their faith. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. Three things about that. In the first place, evidently faith is a gift of God. Because we don't think of him as precious by ourselves. And therefore, the very confession that he is precious is itself worked in us by Jehovah God. That first, in the second place, this faith becomes the mark of the child of God. Not a mark that you and I, first of all, produce in and for ourselves. A mark that God works in us. This is the distinguishing characteristic 
of the child of God. He believes that Jesus Christ is precious. And that's the point being made here too. This faith, therefore, is the response, but the graciously spirit-worked response of a Jew or Gentile chosen in Christ, redeemed by the blood of Christ, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit to the news that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And inasmuch as that response, though it does come out of my heart and through me, was still worked of God in me, faith is God's mark that I am His child. Not how strong your faith is at the moment. Not those who are the best of believers. But this, unto you therefore, which believe. And you and I might very well, as we come to the table of the Lord, and any time we come to worship God, say, I see that my faith is genuine, but I see a lot of weakness and imperfection in it. Oh, there is, beloved. That's reality. That's reality. But you believe. The power is there by grace. The beginning of the expression of faith is there by grace and of such. The text speaks. The third thing to say about this is that the text is speaking of those who believe, that is, those then being marked of God and given a gift of God, who show it, who exercise it, in whom faith is active. And that leads us to examine ourselves again as we come to the table of the Lord and ask two questions. Have we come here today manifesting faith in the form of a true sorrow for sin and genuine conversion. Have we recognized that if it were not for the work of Jesus Christ in us, we could not be here, we would not be here rightly because we would not have turned from our sins. And have we recognized that having turned, the praise and the power is to be ascribed all to Jehovah God. Do you hate your sin? Then the other component of faith as to its activity is very simply this. Do you trust in Christ alone for all your salvation? Again, by nature we wouldn't. And by nature that unbeliever doesn't. By nature we would look to me. Can I save myself to another can you save me to my doctor, to my government? Do you look to Jesus Christ alone? Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. And it's exactly because our faith is weak that the Lord gives for us the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And in our partaking, by faith, he says to us, I didn't just shout this word out from the housetop so that anyone could hear. I have particular people in mind 
And it's you. It's you. I have in mind. Eat. Drink. In faith. There's a contrast that the apostle makes immediately in the verse. I didn't take that part of the verse as my text. But we have to at least note it. On the one hand, unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Here it is. Seeing that Jesus is precious, seeing that he's your and my only and all-sufficient Savior, coming to him, we are not confounded, says the Scriptures, or Isaiah put it this way, you shall not make haste. And the point is, you're not going to run around now looking for anyone else to save you. But what does the unbeliever do? The unbeliever encounters Christ. I didn't say he came to, but he comes into contact with. He falls. He stumbles over Christ. He jumps up as quickly as he can, and he starts running around again and says, I, I'm not going to find salvation in him. Where will I find my salvation? Where is my happiness? Where is my hope? I'll try this prophet. I'll try that prophet. Where do I go now? But I will not go to Christ. Unto them is not Christ precious. But unto you, which believe. This is the gospel. This is the reassuring word of God when I remember that my faith is not my own work, is not my own choice, but is a gift of God. What a wonder of grace that we've been made to believe. And then there's one word in the text yet to notice, and it brings us into the third point. It's the word, therefore, unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. In that word, the apostle is connecting the text to the previous context, and it therefore begs the question and helps answer the question, why is Christ precious to you? And the answer, though I noted it in a nutshell in the first point, I'm going to expand on a little more. In a nutshell, it is because he is my only and complete. Savior. Who else is God but said he would represent humans? Who else is the only begotten Son of God but humbled himself to take our nature, our sins, our guilt and curse upon himself? Who else, having done that, said, it's not enough that being God, I become human. It's not enough that being God and perfectly righteous, I suffer a few things from people. They think wrongly of me, but I will show how much I love them. I will die 
not just in my body, but I'll bear the wrath of God and the horrors of hell. Who else? Who else arose the third day to bestow life, happiness, and all the gifts that he merited? Who else does what the apostle says in the previous verses he does? Who else makes you a stone, a living stone in the body of Christ? Who else unites you to a group of people such as we see here and says you are one in name, you are one in faith, you are one in life, you are one in hope? Who else does that? Who else says to you, that though he's dead, and now in heaven in his human nature, he is yet with you in his spirit. And he shows it today because we're hearing not a man, but you're hearing Jesus Christ proclaim the gospel spiritually. Who else says to you, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me, and don't just remember me intellectually, but I am with you. Always, even to the end of the world. Who else says? The sacrament of which you're going to partake is also a picture of another day. Another day is coming. I'm getting it ready for you. And one day you will eat the marriage supper of the Lamb. To all eternity you'll feast on the good things that I have earned for you and bestowed upon you. Who else but Jesus Christ? Therefore, unto you which believe, he is precious. And then, as you and I have examined ourselves in this past week, recognizing the sin that remains in us, very ready to say, but I have that old man. We also noticed that we have a new man. He's there. Who put him there? Who strengthens him? Who makes him find and obtain the victory over the old? Who gives him that new man, the power to fight sin. Who else than Jesus Christ? Therefore, unto you which believe, he is precious. Notice that in this entire text, the point of the Holy Spirit and the Apostle was not to tell you or me that we are precious to God, but that God is precious to us. Now, of course, there's an order there, and it's the Apostle John who will remind us we love him because he first loved us. But the point then, in conclusion, is if you see in you the gift and grace of faith, 
which leads you to say of your Savior, He is worth more to me than any other being. He is precious. Then that very confession is the testimony of God to you. Also, you are precious to God. Amen. Father, which art in heaven, apply thy word to our hearts and souls. Comfort us and revive us. And now do so also by the sacrament, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.